Welcome to the Terra Workspace Podcast. This is Aravind. In this podcast, I speak to entrepreneurs, innovators, and thought leaders in an attempt to demystify Earth observation, satellite data, and all its applications. Today, I'm speaking with Mila Luleva from Rabobank, a multinational banking and financial services company in the Netherlands, where Mila heads the remote sensing team. You might wonder what a bank is doing with Earth observation data and how they are going about integrating this technology, and that's exactly why I wanted to have Mila on the podcast. In this episode, we talk about Rabobank and their business, how they use remote sensing, how they make decisions of developing Earth observation solutions in-house versus outsourcing them, the state of Earth observation today, and how they benchmark different Earth observation providers, the importance of quality in Earth observation, how can we improve the adoption of Earth observation, and more. It was a great discussion and very different from the typical conversations you might have heard on the podcast, mostly from the perspective of the Earth observation industry. So it was insightful to get the views from the user side, and hopefully you enjoyed this as much as I did. And now I bring you Mila Luleba. Hi Mila, thanks for being on the podcast. Hello Aravind, super nice to be here, very excited about this conversation. Cool, let's uh, start with the first question, that's the first usual question that I always start with, is what's your story and how did you end up doing what you're doing now? My passion for geodata and remote sensing started super early, I think I was about 15 years old, so I was studying geography as a specialized subject at school and then um, my teacher, super great guy, uh, took us to some lecture at the university by some person from Canada talking about GIS, Geographical Information Systems. And I got so enthusiastic about it that I thought, okay, that's that's what I'm going to do. And since then, this is what I've been doing. So uh, that's the story. And you're, you're working at Rabobank now, correct? So do you want to talk about your role in what Rabobank does in general? Sure. My role is very different from what Rabobank does in general. Yeah, so two, two different <laughs> questions then, yeah. <laughs> very important to, to differentiate. So uh, I am leading the remote sensing team at Rabobank. Uh, currently, we are positioned within the innovation stream of Rabobank. So there is the wholesale and rural innovation. Um, and within that space, what we do is we use geodata to develop different types of products and also to develop services that serve uh, different parts of the bank and the business within the bank, delivering results to our clients and, and supporting them. Indirectly. Cool. So, in terms of what Rabobank is, because you know there are probably some listeners out there who probably don't know what Rabobank is. Do you want to talk about what the bank is and what it does? What are its activities uh, and and in general? Yeah. Yes, I, I will. I will definitely give it a go. So <laughs> something that uh, that probably a little bit of a disclaimer here. So I joined Rabobank about a year ago, and uh, before that. My really my expertise had nothing to do with banking yep. and nothing to do with financial services, but uh, so so with that uh, little disclaimer in mind, I'll try to emphasize what Rabobank does. So Rabobank is one of the biggest banks in the Netherlands. We operate within Netherlands, but also globally with multiple offices in in um, in the states, also uh, the in Latin America, Africa, and uh, also well Asia and uh, Australia and New Zealand. The bank focuses on farmers, so it is known as the farmer bank. So most of our client base is really within the agricultural business. So major corporates, um, major, and, and of course also smallholder farmers. So various uh, spectrum, various various uh, clients within the agricultural uh, sector. 
Yeah, I think that I think that gives a good overview, and I think that brings me to the next question. So, for a bank that is working with farmers and it's called the Farmers Bank, you know, what has it got to do with remote sensing? What are you doing in the bank, and you know, what's your role within Rubble Bank yeah. that has to do with remote sensing? A question that I think I answer, if not daily, at least once a week, I have the same uh, this question. You know, what 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 does the bank have to do with remote sensing? And actually, a lot. Um, if you think within the context of agriculture, if you think within the context of climate and energy transition, if you think about the con- in the context of uh, water resource management, uh, water productivity, um, what the bank does with remote sensing is really takes advantage of this uh, huge amount of data. So a lot of the decisions that we make, a lot of the financial challenges that we also face, they have a geographical component. Many of them are linked to sustainability. Many of them are linked to climate as well. And the more information we have, uh, the more, the easier, or at least the less risk there is when you move forward, especially now with making different investments and also seeing a lot of uh, companies making uh, transition towards um, uh, this type of, you, you know, they, they have this climate-related problems and, and making decisions uh, by not knowing what the future will be. Uh, for a, From a banking point of view, I think this is uh, super important to be able to guide them and also to be able to judge as well uh, what the prediction of uh, how the company will develop or the client will develop in the future. What we would like to also do is, you know, we answered, with remote sensing, we answered the questions. Like, for example, if before we had, uh, we have an excuse, oh, this we didn't know that. What now we have to say is we should have known it because remote sensing can answer that question. Um, also, what we see is you can anticipate what will happen because you have your information, you have your data, and you can make those predictions of how it will go. Also, something within the banking industry that is very strong is the fact that we... that they rely a lot on this internal data. So you collect your client information, you have everything you need, and it is confined within the bank, and then you make your decisions based on what you have, your internal data. With remote sensing, what you actually do is the opposite. You go externally, you use all sorts of open data sources that are globally available, and you can make your decisions in a lot more transparent way. And of course, the last thing which actually my heart lies within is that quality of the process over the quality by the people. Mm -hmm. So you actually automate what your people are doing and in that way you really increase the quality of the actual process that you are... are Sure, makes sense. Um, So I think that that's a good overview of why remote sensing is relevant, but you, your team particularly, what, what area of the business are you focusing on, how many people you are and just talk about what your product team is and, you know, what your, what you know, area of the business you're focusing on? So just also to, to mention that we are currently in a transition. So transition from where we currently are positioned and the team is positioned to where it will be in the coming year. So this is probably something we can talk about later. But what is going on right now is we are positioned, as I mentioned, within innovation. And within the innovation department of the bank, you have the so-called propositions. And the propositions are, if you can imagine, individual startups. So you imagine a, a number of startups that are uh, that they have their own management, they have their own structure, they have their own product that they're developing and selling. 
the only difference between a proposition and a startup is that the funding comes entirely from Rabobank. So it is internally funded. But the actual MT of that proposition needs to defend, you know, what uh, the, the budget needs to make uh, predictions and then move, you know, from startup to scale up and etc. So what we do is we provide a lot of, well, we provide the remote sensing expertise to all those propositions that are within the innovation streams or to those that actually remote sensing is relevant, of course. Uh, main focus at the moment is one of our key propositions that is ACORN. The proposition uh, deals with smallholder farmers. We assist the smallholder farmers transition to regenerative agriculture and agroforestry. We use remote sensing to calculate the benefits of this transition. We convert it into carbon removal. So we actually estimate how much carbon we have removed using these practices. And then we sell this carbon to corporate clients, uh, such as Microsoft and Standard Chartered and, and different other clients. All the, well, most of the money goes back to the farmer. So our goal is not so much profit driven. Actually, in fact, not at all profit driven. But what we do is that everything, the money that Travel Bank keeps, this is to maintain our team. Uh, and then everything else goes to support the farmers uh, in the developing world. So really a noble cause. I really love it. One of those impact projects that, you know, that is actually creating impact. Um, and in this case, with the use of uh, remote sensing data. Uh, would you be able to walk us through um, the process of how it happens? Because the, the listeners here are very remote sensing folks, most of them, not all of them, but some of most of them are remote sensing folks. So they're just curious about like how the process works. So, you know, you're a bank and, you know, you talked about a few things which not a lot of people actually can relate to because, you know, a lot of them are data scientists, remote sensing folks. Uh, working in the space industry or working in earth observation. So it'd be good if you can walk us through an example of like, you know, this is the use case that you're focusing on and this is how you're using remote sensing data for and this is the impact it is having. Would you be able to do that? Yeah, I, I will give it a go. So definitely a challenge yeah, because this is also a challenge that I face uh, every day. And the fact is that I'm also a remote sensing expert and a remote sensing scientist, but I need to make myself understood within a uh, uh, an environment which actually nobody understands me. So a very, very big challenge for everyone. And I, I see that I am managing uh, quite well. But a process. So what we do is we have, a, usually we start with a business case. So the business case comes external. So sometimes we uh, initiate the business case, but of course um, that is not really our, our job for the job of the remote sensing team. So a business case is formed. There is a, a, a business owner as well who has interest in developing a certain product. Uh, the product comes to us. We design uh, a proposal of how remote sensing data and what type of remote sensing data can be used, what type of ground truth data needs to be collected as well. Uh, often from building models, you need that ground truth data. So we design also a strategy. So as any other consultancy company, so you come to us with a question, we develop a proposal, we develop a working plan. And first with a proof of concept and then a scalability plan. And that we give back to the business owner. Uh, usually what we request is a budget, of course, internal within the bank. So we get a budget approval of that and then we execute the proof of concept. Well, once the proof of concept is, is met, is, is, um, is successful, then we start talking about, okay, can we make it into a bigger case? Can we make it global? Can, do we need to outsource it? Do we need to hire an external company to do the scaling part? Are we going to handle it ourselves? Um, and that is in short how it goes with 
pretty much every every product mm-hmm. that we develop. Yeah, very interesting because you know those are the kind of questions that a lot of companies will probably also start to go through as they look at you know using remote sensing within their organizations. Um, but let's get a little specific. So what type of remote sensing data do you use? Do you use only satellites or drones? Uh, I'm guessing you mentioned open data, so a lot of uh, open satellite data. Correct. Well, uh, mainly we... So it's a complex question in terms of... Uh, oh, it always... It depends, it, yeah. It depends. Right it depends on the, it depends on the yeah. business case. In um, When we talk about, in the case that I mentioned uh a while ago, the smallholder farmers, we don't want to invest in uh, in data that is, you know, bringing not mm-hmm. enough uh, return because the more money we invest on our side, the less money goes mm-hmm. to the farmers. So what we try to do is we try to develop the best accuracy possible product with the least amount sure. of expense. Having said that, um, for many sources of data, you need your validation. Mm-hmm. You need your high-resolution data. You need your airborne sensors, for example. Um, so we do try to fly sensors in areas where we work. For example, LiDAR sensors, we fly on, a, on an airplane. Uh, very challenging, right? Because you have, we. if you think of Rabobank, we operate globally. Therefore, there is no one single process that you can implement. If we we have uh, projects that are at the same time located in Nicaragua, Peru, uh, Kenya, India, and (laughs) everywhere, but there is no one way to get your permit. So you want to fly your sensor to validate your model, but you really cannot because there's governmental regulations, there's the need of local authorities involved, and this we have a, I have a dedicated person actually doing that in the team, and the poor guy is just so you know frustrated all the time. So we try to um, not build something that depends on these things. You know, I cannot be dependent on a on a permit. I cannot be dependent on something that I cannot control. So our methods are usually tailored towards use remote sensing, satellite remote sensing as much as possible, and then everything else assists you in quality uh, quality development. But it's not your main source of data for uh, that you use. So I mean, I think that's a interesting challenge or interesting problem to have because obviously satellites take away a lot of the um, you know problems that exist with you know regulations and flying sensors etc but then you you do have you know ground truthing to be done you need to you know execute a few process in order to you know get to the quality that you want to get um so that brings me to the question you mentioned that you know for every after every pilot for scaling up you know you look at different providers you do look at you know can you do it yourself etc so how do you end up making that decision um do you have a specific set of criteria i'm guessing most of the criteria comes down to cost but apart from cost what are the other things that you look at in order to make that decision, should we outsource? Should we build it ourselves, etc.? In most cases, so very challenging, right? That is really challenging. The reason being that, as much as we would like to work with as many companies as possible, there is a big limitation that comes with that, and the limitation is the fact that the IP of all of those companies is closed. So when it comes, uh, one of the biggest challenges actually I had in uh, in in this process in over the last year 
was that if you work with a vendor company, so an external company that is building something for you, you have absolutely no access to the models that they use, to the data processing chains that they have, uh, to their operational readiness or any of these things. You rely on external validators, so we hire external validators to go through those processes. But even then, even if you have your control framework, you have everything that you want them to talk about, there is no way that you can check for, for example, overfitting of a model. It's very difficult to control the accuracy. You can report accuracy in multiple different ways. And those who know about uh, machine learning, you know that you can twist your test sets as much as you like to get the accuracy you like. Now, the issue is that when that company gives you a, a, a numbers, right, they estimate numbers, which by all means, could also be just a random number generator. You put yourself there and you say, I have to defend these numbers. It's not the company. Rabobank gets the numbers and puts them out there. That creates a huge reputational risk on one hand. And on the other hand is when I discuss these numbers with the client to whom we deliver them or with external certifiers that look at them, they're questioning me, how did you get to that number? And I say, I don't know. And then... I cannot defend that number. And if they challenge me on the number, I have no proof to show that actually the number is correct. So huge challenge in that selection because then you first have to have your really full trust in, in the vendor that you work with. And secondly, you have to really have those quality control steps in place to the extent to which you know you can assess that. And moving forward, of course, if the IP is open, which I fully encourage everybody to, to, to go in that direction, if the IP is open, then the transparency is much bigger and the trust is bigger. But if the, if the IP is closed, for me, that's also a question. Do I want to take this further? Is it worth it to go through all mm -hmm. of this, you know, uh, moving forward with it? Yeah, but you, you understand why the IP is closed, right? That's their business case. So, you know, they need to run their Oh, companies. of course. So, I mean, I understand the challenge from an adoption standpoint, but I'm wondering what the solution is. Is the solution publishing papers, perhaps? You know, there are some companies that I know that publish their results, their methodologies as papers. So, you know, there's some level of transparency there. It's scientific peer reviewed their methodology. So, you know, maybe that's one way. You know, maybe it's a little bit of a romantic view that I have, <laughs> but I'll express it anyway. I believe that if you want to challenge yourself, you need to open your IP, meaning that you are not hiding behind and you're not afraid of the competition. Competition is actually a very good thing for your company and for you because you're constantly challenged. And for my team, for example, I'm not afraid to open the IP of anything we do because I know that by the time another company that clearly needs my help in order to take that IP, they, by the time they implement it, I'm two steps ahead. I have something new. I have something that is better. So for my team, this is a huge challenge. They actually don't need to compete with anybody else. They're competing with themselves. You know, they need to do it faster. They need to be good and they need to innovate all the time and be challenged all the time. So opening the IP on one hand, opens up transparency. So I see a lot in this business that people are uh, hiding behind and creating that image of remote sensing is magic. There is a black box there. Something happens inside. We don't know what, but it generates these, you know, magic numbers. And we all know that's not true. Even if you say, you know, my machine learning model has the black box in it, you have you you can judge your data. You're not there just you know dumping information and expecting an answer. You know what your your model is doing, and 
And I feel that we need to be more transparent in that way. We should not create this vision of this is, you know, uh, rocket science, although it is a bit of a rocket science, but it is, you know, it's not something that is mystical. Sure. No, it's based on actually real, real facts. And uh, yeah, I, on one hand, I understand IP is your, your, your key, but I actually would say data and your client base, that's your key. That's, that's where you are. Data processing chains, systems that allow you to do scalability, to be everywhere. This is your, this is what your business should be based on. Not a model, right? There are a couple of algorithms that you can apply and you can select which one of the two. So that's not really an sure. IP, right? Uh, that's more of. Yeah, interesting. I think it brings me to the example of what's going on in the meteorological world and um, the two agencies that we have, NOAA and uh, ECMWF in Europe. They have started to open source their weather model uh, algorithm. So a lot of you know collaborators and scientists can come take a look at the model and improve it. Um, and you know that's that's a bit of a different segment because you know it's it's a public publicly funded initiative so you know there's no ip problem there they can still you know open source it and the agency can continue to run because they get from public funding but with private companies yeah that's the that's the hard part but you say you know like you said there are some companies that i know of that are focusing on you know creating the ip around the scalability part and i think um, one company calls it uh, ml ops machine learning ops so you know that's their biggest advantage compared to the algorithm itself because the algorithm you know can be improved someone else can develop a better algorithm so from a, yeah i think i understand because it's not even a good ip to have because tomorrow there can be a, a genius who will come and develop a better model and your company will become non-existent right so Correct, and, and and there is no need of of um, no need of protecting this. You know, I, I feel that um, there is a lot more. If you if your business is based on an IP of a model, I think um, you need to rethink the, your business a little bit. What is currently available is open source data, so there is a lot that comes as ready products, right? And they're sort of product that you can download. Simplest being NDVI global NDVI calculation. And a lot of people opt for that, right? You say, oh, it's available. I'm going to download it and that's what I'm going to use. But they forget that actually quality is very important. And the data processing part, the pre-processing part, is where you actually control your quality of your product. And if you develop, if you get your ready-made product, even if you use that one, you still need to have your quality checks in place to be sure that this model is that you, this data layer that you have downloaded is accurate for for the area where you are. Doesn't have clouds, for example, where you are. Doesn't calculate haze and these sort of things. So, I feel in the pre-processing part, there are very crucial steps that everybody. You know, depending on the purpose and how you use your data, you can really direct your data pre-processing flows to eliminate those errors that, you know, often are yeah, related to, for example, to the resolution often or to the way that you want to link your data. For example, if you do data fusion, how you put the two sensors together. I, I feel there is a lot more that can be done there. And if you master that part, nothing will be a challenge for you moving forward because your, your data is as clean as it can be. But do you think every company can afford resources to to do that? That's the big question, right? That's that's the hard part. No, I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. So this is where you actually have your trade off, right? So so what do I want to do? Do I want to invest in that part, or do I want to invest in how I use that data for product mm -hmm. development? So you know, 
I think the remote remote sensing data by itself is just a data layer. But what you do with it is actually where your business makes the difference. So how can I use what I have to develop something that is new? So I'm not really making anything groundbreaking in the types of data. I just have to make my choice. This is the product that I have. This is the resolution I need. This is the type of sensor I need. These are the trade-offs trade-offs related to, for example, um, types of data versus uh-huh. cost. And then you make that decision. And sometimes, yes, you say, well, I'm not going to invest in the pre-processing because the product is already ready and it fits within my, let's say, 90, uh, 90% uh, uh, sure. confidence level. And that's sufficient for my client base. You know, I have a client of clients of about a million. If I fit something to 90%, I'm satisfied. And it, it really also depends on what your, what your final goal sure. is in the product that you're developing. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that uh, that makes sense. I'm going to become a devil's advocate for a minute and I'm going to ask, do you have a, <laughs> do you have a very idealistic vision for the future of remote sensing? Because, you know, you talked about the quality and the importance of quality and the importance of having a process that, you know, supports the quality. But if you if you were to focus on that, don't you think the adoption of remote sensing will be very slow? So we need to have some kind of compromises in order to get somewhere. I, I feel we need to be we need to be critical, right? On on for for many reasons. The first reason would be: Do we really not have enough sensors going on there to fit our mm-hmm. needs? The first one. Second, um, when you develop, uh, when enough people develop a product that is of a lower quality, the message that you send is that remote sensing produces lower quality mm-hmm. products. If enough people don't pay attention at that, then that's the message you send. Before I joined Rabobank, I used to work in a company where we were focused more on handheld sensors and you know more, more of field spectroscopy rather than remote sensing. And there, that was also the same thing. A lot of people were trying to do something, not, making, not paying attention to quality, um, when you add also the marketing team of overselling something that, you know, we know that remote sensing and sensor technology has its limitations in that field. Of course, we have to be objective there. But if those people make that huge case, then what happens is you oversell something, then you cannot actually prove it. And then you create the negative image of the whole industry. And then if somebody is actually delivering something to a quality, they have super difficult task here. You know, I need to defend everything that I'm doing because somebody created a horrible image sure. for me and I cannot even... Yeah, you can pull it out. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. I've seen, I've, I've worked with companies and they have, you know, said the same thing, you know. Remote sensing is oversold, so, you know, we disregarded the technology because it's... And that's not a good thing for the technology because, you know, it can do it if only there was a right selling done. All right, that makes sense. Cool. Um, so what's on your roadmap? What's coming for, uh, you know, what's coming for your bank and how you're looking at remote sensing? You mentioned that things are changing. Do you, can you talk about something in terms of how things are changing? What I see as a benefit and as a very positive way forward in the coming year is that a lot of attention is put on sustainability, a lot of attention is put on climate risk, Uh, A lot of attention is also put on informative decisions. So I need my information before I can make my decision. And 
all of this is within the context of remote sensing. So um, huge sustainability goals, very big demands from our client base, not only our direct clients, but also the supply chain. So what is the supply chain doing? And this is where remote sensing also has a very crucial part. You know, We need to be able to trace what happens and we need to be able to understand the businesses of our clients. And, and um a lot of this holds on the on the shoulders of, of remote sensing, and and uh, I'm, I very much welcome this welcome this challenge. It will be a big challenge because uh, the more we talk about you know meeting the the Paris agreements, talking about how how COP went, looking into not only chemicals but also looking into biodiversity, deforestation, making difference, making impact, helping people. I feel that you know, we are moving in the right direction and remote sensing is really crucial and vital in all of those uh, those aspects. So this will be in the coming year, actually, facing those challenges one after the other, uh, looking at soils, looking at water, looking at, 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 at um, yield production, climate risks. Um. Yeah, no, 100%. There's the, you know, that's the advantage with our technologies. It can kind of do everything, which is good, but also bad, like you mentioned, because you need to go through what is actually good, what is actually working, what is overselling, um, before you kind of you know make it into a business because you know if you're not doing a phd project or you know trying to propose a, a research project um cool i want to move on to talking about the state of the industry today and you know how you're looking at it sitting within um you know the the institution where you are so first question is what, what do you think about the the state of earth observation today you know from especially from a satellite point of view uh, a lot of satellites being launched um can you keep up can you keep up with uh you know, with all the developments and you track everything yeah. in terms of who's launching what, what sensor, what resolution, etc. <laughs> Good question. So first, the first question that you asked, what do I think of the industry today? I'm actually very excited about the industry today. So if I look back a couple of years ago, a couple of years, well, okay, 10 years ago, um, it was a completely different game by then. Sensors were a lot fewer. The uh, the adoption was a lot less uh, there. Um, it was completely different. So if we look into the sector now and what is going on now, it's very exciting. I, I feel that we can do a lot now. There is a, a lot more that is available. On the other hand, indeed, there is, there is the difference between is it enough? Is it like big data versus too much data? <laughs> I feel we are going a little bit towards too much data available. And then indeed your choice is very much more difficult. Can I keep up? Um, I think so. Actually, I very much also appreciate the fact that all of these companies that are launching new satellites, they do not miss the chance to inform us that they have launched a couple of <laughs> that many number of satellites. So I really appreciate their marketing teams over there trying to, to say what they do. Um, but to be honest, I'm still doubting the added value. I have to be honest there. I'm doubting the added value because what we... I feel we are being a little bit, we are not practicing what we are preaching. Meaning we say we're launching all these satellites to save the environment, to save the planet, to help the people, to reduce emissions, to be able to monitor climate, etc. And at the same time, what we're doing is we're launching hundreds and hundreds of satellites, creating enormous pollution, you know what that means, uh, generating enormous amounts of data that go into these huge data centers where, you know, a lot of energy goes in there, a lot of um, computer power goes in there. And at one point you're saying, I'm offsetting this number of carbon emissions 
final product. But what did I do along the way? Was it necessary, right? Was it necessary? Could I have done that without doing that? You know, so I, I feel a little bit people are not being very objective of why they're doing what they're doing. And I think if they're more transparent, just, I'm just doing it because I want money and I want control over the data, then, then you know, I'll believe you more than if you say I'm going to save the environment. I, I <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, if people are doing it for a purpose, right? Like, And that's, that's, that's kind of a future that I'm betting on, that we will be launching with a purpose in mind for a specific use case where, you know, the business case has been validated and it's been verified that, you know what, having a satellite is the best business decision um, and I know exactly how I'm going to use it, then it makes sense. Yeah, and it's the only option, right? I have no other option. I have to do that because I have no alternative, right? And if you say you have no alternative and that's the only option, I support you. But you need to be really honest. Is that the case or is there a something else 100% and you know obviously the growth is not only in um, satellite companies there's a lot of growth in the downstream companies as well companies that are building specific products for specific use cases uh, do you do you work with them do you you because there are quite a few in Netherlands um, and uh, I had uh, Aryan from Satelligence on the podcast probably three three four weeks ago uh, so you know that's a company in the Netherlands but then you know even globally there are so many companies coming up developing different type of products maybe their ip is the algorithm for some of them but um, yeah they're all you know trying to target different use cases and different products uh, what are your thoughts on the growth in that sector because you probably didn't have that five ten years ago as well uh that's true actually a lot has uh, has changed as well in that um, in the frame um we do work with uh, with uh, remote sensing providers of course they actually are our key to to scalability that this for me is very important um, currently, we work, of course, Satelligence, so Ariane uh, and, and his team. Uh, we work also with Space for Good. This is another company based in the Netherlands. We also work with 52 Impact. Super great people, very smart, very incredible team and, uh, around us. Um, Rabobank also positioned in, in our role. We are not here to replace those companies within the Netherlands or to sort of overtake that. Not, not at all. We actually would like to create that constellation in which we support each other. We create an environment of healthy competition, but the business thrives together. I believe that if we together create a, a, a business case, then this is going to be a lot more strong than if you would try to do it by yourself. And that applies for them. And that also applies for, uh, for us. Um, I do, however, see a little bit of a pitfall there. The pitfall is, you know, people wanting to start something because they can, they think they can do it better. So you have a lot of those small companies that start, but they don't really have those business cases. And often again, going back to what we discussed now, quality, very big, big problem, right? Some the quality differs so much that, um, uh, yeah, that it's really difficult to track and to see, okay, with this company, are they just trying to sell me something or can they really do it? You know, so that, that is a little bit of a, uh, of a problem. But I do, I do like it, to be honest. I like so many companies trying to do this. I like many companies making noise about what we're doing. Um, so many, if there are so many companies, it means that there is demand for those companies, which I also love because, you know, the more of this data is used, uh, hopefully the products are better, the results are better. So um, I, I do like it. I do like it. I support it a lot. And and we will continue to work with those companies in the future as well and probably add more to the constellation of partners. Nice. It's nice uh, seeing constellation used in a very non-space context. 
creating not creating debris in this case so when you one question on you know when you work on work with these providers and you see the growth of the market you know there are you know if you had 10 companies doing that this year you probably will have 15 or 20 next year because that's how the industry is growing how do you benchmark because is it becoming hard to benchmark for you or is it easy because you have you know the quality criteria uh, and you have a set criteria so it's very easy to benchmark and basically filter through the noise how do you do that my team is my benchmark i make sure that i make sure that my team i control i i, I control is a play bad word but i i make sure that my team delivers to their maximum quality and ability and we really thrive for that that we really are exceptional mm-hmm. in what we do now if a company can top us up I welcome them. It means that they're really great. If they can beat the quality criteria that I have set for my team, I love it. And if they cannot, then we try to assist them in a way that, you know, we see the added value, especially with our current partners. We, we try to assist as much as possible to deliver data that they need. We, we have, of course, our resources yeah. are slightly bigger in, in some cases. So we try to also help them develop together with us because if they do good we yeah. also do good they deliver yeah. results to our clients so it's in our yeah. benefit yeah i see it as a very complementary relationship because you know if you're going to put a requirement to them it is actually a business requirement you're not just asking them to you know do things because you want to verify it it's, it's basically yeah. your business requirement so yeah i think it works very well and yeah i hope that there's a lot of these these partnerships and these ecosystem development that happens because i don't think there's a lot that's happening in the in general in the remote sensing world today and i wish there was more because it's almost like in two different silos uh remote sensing companies who are doing this and then there are the users of that data and i wish they work together a little bit more i've been thinking about you know how to enable that to make that happen yeah i, I echo this i echo this 100 percent. and uh, i think it was la- last year during the living planet symposium I, I decided to just organize all, a little event for all the partners that we had and of course we work either directly with certain companies but of course we have also a, a base of companies that just complement and do smaller um tasks for us so we just got together and it was so nice you know you see the these companies they can work together in a common cause and we can we can create this with a healthy competition but still all of them thrive together and mm-hmm. that, uh, um, they, they help the industry a yep. lot together it doesn't need to be always a, i know that i speak from a very sort of a tricky position you know in which you know i encourage the companies <laughs> to work together which which could also be you know a little bit of you know their business uh, uh, not really into their business view. sure but I really do believe that uh, it's possible and I, I believe we should encourage it. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah, as long as it helps the adoption, I think that's the larger goal that I've tried to think about it myself. The larger goal being the increased adoption of this data where it can be used and it's not being used. And you have to investigate why it's not used. Is it the lack of awareness? In which case, it's almost easy to solve in a way because you just need to bring that message to them and make them aware of what is possible and maybe discover together with them what is possible uh, and then let them make the decision. But then, you know, if it's a question of quality, then, you know, so be it. If they have not used because they have never understood that this quality was not possible, then, yeah, so be it. But I don't know if that's happening in a very proactive manner uh, in the industry. That's, 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 that's my opinion. Well, you know, adoption is a very tricky thing. I've dealt with adoption for quite, uh, quite some time. And what I see... In many cases, you know, a lot of people just spend time explaining. Mm-hmm. And what I have found and I have seen is that 
to make impact, you, you shouldn't spend too much time explaining. You should spend time showing. So what you do is I can help you see the benefit by me showing you how much impact I can make with this type of data. So I usually have my limit on how much I explain. And then I just say, okay, let me show you what we can do. And then you show the impact based on data. You download your data, you do your thing, which you're good at, and then you show them. And that way of adoption is so much better than actually trying to, to talk it through, to explain it, to, to defend yourself, to make whatever, just show your results. And I think at that moment, adoption is easy. If you're good at what you do, the impact that you make is visible uh, and it's a lot faster. All right, makes sense. So one question on the adoption, like you were talking about, is it hard making a case for remote sensing within company? And you know, what can the industry do to help to help make case easier because I think that is in the industry's um, interest that you know that it happens if you know if folks like you who are sitting within within users uh, organizations and they can't make a case you know that's a challenge but can the industry do anything to help make a case on one hand I find it very easy to make a case within Rabobank I have to say that the actual acceptance of the technology and the, the need of the technology, you know, is sure. very visible. Everyone really acknowledges that. The issue that I see is who pays mm -hmm. for it, right? So when you are to make your business case, so you see the need of it, you see how much, how much benefit it has. Now making the case to the payment part <laughs> and actually starting to make money out of it, that's where it becomes mm -hmm. very tricky. And and I feel that um, perhaps I don't I don't know exactly to be honest I'm a little bit away from from that part of the earth observation sector but I would be very curious to see how the business cases are developed and how uh, how the companies are positioning those products because I have the feeling that they are not really positioned very optimally. There is also a lot of competition from universities that provide uh, this data for free, these products for free. And I just wonder to what extent this is healthy, you know, how, how the pricing of these products are uh, is really done and how the work that these companies do is really valued. So, so that for me, uh, I don't know if the answer is there. I just don't know it, to be honest. And I see that this, the making the bridge from I see the need, I see the use of it is excellent to, okay, pay for it. <laughs> That's a bit of a, something that I'm still... Uh, okay, yeah, it's almost out. like making a case together so that, you know, if we give you this product, we can both... Uh, you know, benefit out of it. I think maybe that's that's probably yeah. what. It's almost like people are expected to know that adopting this will help my, you know, business. It, I think the... Um, I think I don't know if that's a communication thing or if it's a go-to-market strategy thing where, you know, they need to be a little more engaged and almost work together with the with the customer as mm -hmm. opposed to just trying to sell a product, right? It's it's not just sales. It's a little bit more than that. Correct. I think also it takes a couple mm -hmm. of years, right? Because you can deliver a product on a one-time timestamp. But I think one of the biggest advantages of remote sensing is that monitoring yep. component, that year on year you can actually have reliable mm -hmm. data. And if you are to produce something now for one timestamp, I think the um, it's not so visible of actually the full power sure. of remote sensing, of that revisiting uh, of something. So 
sometimes it is that today you might not be showing the result that you want, but if you follow up next year, next year, next year, then you actually see the benefit. Sure. The longer you use it, the more clear it becomes. So it's also a bit of a understanding of the patience <laughs> behind yeah. it and also you know, seeing the impact on the long run rather than the short-term yeah. view vision. Yeah, it's a good point. I think I haven't thought about it, but yeah, I think that, that makes sense. The more you use it, the more you'll realize uh, the value of the technology. All right, makes sense. So let's um, wrap up with a, with a few questions. What is one thing that we don't talk about enough in the remote sensing industry? I think we, we again touched on a few things, but is there something that you specifically want to point out that I wish we talked about it more? Oh, please, let's talk more about quality and also space uh, space trash. <laughs> That's a very important something to talk about. But but quality and impact, we need to quality and impact. We need to we need to talk about it more. We need to be more meticulous mm -hmm. in that. Uh, okay, that. makes sense. And let's say I have I have one question. And if you have a power to have something, you wake up the next day tomorrow. What would that be? Is that is that a technology? Is that an algorithm? Is that a process? You know, is that more people? <laughs> what is that one wish you have if you know for tomorrow if you wake up and you want to have something? I wish that more people are directly helped by remote sensing data. So we we spend more. I wish that, for example, a product that we develop really impacts lives of people and we can see it and we can measure it. I feel that this is really the power of remote sensing is exactly there. You can make the difference there. Also, it's my drive also behind what I do is we can do better with the knowledge we all have, the collective knowledge that the industry has. I think if we put it into that, let's help people, let's uh, protect the environment more, let's make an impact on somebody's life, even if it's a little bit, you know, we, we are here for such a short time, we need to be there to measure that we made a little difference. And I feel remote sensing has that power. So if we can direct it towards, let's make a difference for somebody's life, I think that would be so great. Nicely put. All right. So if you have one thing to say to the folks who are listening, I'm sure a lot, some of them will like discover that Rubberbank mm -hmm. is using remote sensing. Maybe they'll try and contact you for like we're launching this sensor or we have this product. But do you have something to say? We are hiring. So please do reach out. <laughs> Maybe that is one thing uh, I would like to say. No, but... Uh... Anything else we missed? Anything you want to add? You said you're hiring, so I'll probably add in a link in the podcast. But uh, I don't know if we, you want to add something before we close. We touched on a lot of topics across uh, the industry. Yeah. No, if anybody has suggestions of how um, Rabobank can help them in any way, I'm very open to that. So please reach out to me. And if you feel that... There is a way that we can collaborate together to make something better. I'm very open to to hear you out, whoever that is, and and we are here to support each other. Sure. I feel, and if and if anybody of the listeners felt that I can do something for them, please do reach out. Brilliant, sounds good. Uh, thanks, Mila. Thanks for being on the podcast. This was uh, this was a lot of fun, and you know, it was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. It went so fast. I, I cannot yeah. believe it. So uh, yeah. Excellent. Thank, thanks a lot. Hey, this is Arvind again. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Terraward Space Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, feel free to sign up for my newsletter, TerraWatch on Substack. That is terrawatch.substack.com, where I attempt to decode the recent developments in space tech and its impact on Earth. Thanks again and hope to see you for the next episode.